0: God freely entered into a covenant of restoration and blessing with Abraham. By faith, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This covenant promise made with our fathers in faith flows effectually throughout generations. God's New Testament people are now heirs according to the promise. What God started in Genesis is now sealed and secure in Christ Jesus. If you are a wife, I hope you are as encouraging as my dear Gail. If you have a wife, I hope that you have a wife that is the encourager that my Gail is to me. What do I mean? About five minutes before I came up here in the eight o'clock hour, I I turned to Gail and I said, I really need about two hours to cover what I need to cover this morning. And she said to me, take it. So this service will be going until about 1215 um, we can work that out around the campus and, and figure, no, nah, I, I, I kid. There are, there are so many sidebar conversations that have legitimate roots in these first few verses of Genesis 12. I'll be sharing with you in a bit some other places where some of these sidebar issues will be, uh, will be taken up and talked about. Um, before I read the passage, I wanna, I wanna just r- remind you A year ago at this time, we began a study of Genesis one through 11. We spent the months basically between the new year and Easter time, going through that, that foundation section of the book of Genesis. We talked about creation, we talked about the fall. Uh, we talked about the, the the flood of noah and the aftermath of the flood and the the tower of babel and its relationship to modern human anthropological groupings and and all of those things took us a while the book of genesis pretty organically divides into three major sections the section that we dealt with a year ago the, that foundation section the, 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 the section that is the end of the book of Genesis, starting in chapter 37, is probably the Old Testament's most detailed biography, the story of Joseph. It goes from Genesis 37 into, I think, what, chapter 51, the last chapter of the book of Genesis, all about the life of Joseph. This middle section from chapter 12 to chapter 36 deals with the lives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to be spending several, several months this year walking through that, that portion of the book of Genesis, this second major portion. So the, the the shift is pretty dramatic at the start of chapter 12, actually a little bit the last paragraph of 11 where we learn about a guy named Terah and his family who moved from Ur of the Chaldees up to Haran. We'll recap that briefly in a moment. But we join The story of Abram, who will later be named Abraham, but for now, Abram, that means my father is exalted, but he's not talking about the living God yet. When he was named, he certainly wasn't. Um, We join his story at Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse one. I'm gonna read the the first nine verses of Genesis 12. Join me. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go. What did God tell Abram to do? All right. You just, you just nailed much of the application of this passage by understanding that, but there's a bit more. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. All right, let's talk a little bit about the context of the covenant, Roman numeral one on your outline. Before I do that, let me give you a definition for covenant some definitions have to be fairly meticulous and elaborate to hone down on the specific idea in play but the covenant is simple a covenant is an agreement between two parties Uh, it is it is roughly synonymous with contract although a covenant can be some things that a contract isn't a covenant can be conditional a covenant can be unconditional but a covenant is an agreement between two parties. Uh, I live in a community where when, when, you, when you close on a house in, in uh, the subdivision where I live, you, you of necessity take on a bunch of deed restrictions, a bunch of covenant agreements regarding what, what people who own a house in our neighborhood can and cannot do. those are those are covenants that's what the, the realtor would explain to you if you were shopping for a house in my neighborhood you would learn that that they will get upset with you if you park your car on the street overnight it's not allowed in our neighborhood they will get upset with you if you up and put a shed in your backyard I know it's your backyard, but you signed on as a party to those covenants when you bought a house in this neighborhood. There's some other things. They'll, They'll tell you what kind of fence you can and can't put up. Sometimes it can get up. They tell you what color you can and can't paint your house. I know. That's a... Rabbit for another day, but in point of fact, when you closed, you signed on and you're a party to those covenants that's what a covenant is. this covenant uh, one of the the heart of the matter truths of this covenant is it doesn't have conditions and we'll get to that God made to Abram an unconditional covenant all right let's look a little bit at the context of the covenant. first thing if you read these These paragraphs, there's a whole lot of geography going on here. So there is a geographical context. Now I've done something that I have rarely, if ever done before in this room. Please don't you do this. You might upset our security team, but I have brought a laser pointer. Now it's green, it's not red, and I'm not shining it at anybody or any helicopters flying over or anything like that. But I wanna show you some things on this map. If we go back to the last paragraph of Genesis 11, we first encounter Abram, and he's part of the family of his father, Terah, in Ur. Ur is, is, is in Chaldean territory, down near the tip of the Persian Gulf. These tan areas are bodies of water on this map, and uh, Ur is along the Euphrates River as it flows. Uh, out of these mountains down into the Persian Gulf. Ur was a major city of the Chaldeans. And Ur um, was the place where Abram's father, Terah, moved his family up the river Euphrates to Haran. Now this whole thing is called the Fertile Crescent, if you read world history. Because it, it wraps around an enormous desert. Given the option, you would not travel through this area on foot. You would do up and over along this crescent. So Abram's family goes as far as Haran in chapter 11. Then Terah, his daddy, dies. And it is in Haran that Abram receives this covenant from God. And he's gonna come down this way to this area which largely corresponds to the nation, modern nation of Israel. It's on the east end of the Mediterranean Sea. And we're going to be zooming in. Next week, for example, Abram's going to make this quick trip down to Egypt and back, a ill-advised trip, as we'll talk about next week. Weak. If you can't place the Mediterranean Sea and this land on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea, well, there's, there's more remedial geography going on there than I have time to fix this morning but I bet you know where we are. That's the geographical context. There also, and this is critical to understand the Abrahamic covenant, this covenant God made, there is an interpretive context. Now I'm gonna spend a few minutes here, and I'm going to spend a noteworthy additional time in other settings dealing with some sidebar questions that arise regarding the interpretive context of the Abrahamic covenant. There's a a first principle we have to talk about. It's on your outline there under Roman numeral one, uh, B, um, the analogy of faith. What is the analogy of faith? That is simply the principle that when we interpret scripture, the most important place we should go, the most important resource we should consult to interpret scripture is other scripture. Because scripture quite often will speak directly to Matters that are addressed, a passage will address a matter and then another passage will come along and address the same matter. And so using scripture to interpret scripture is the duty of everyone who would seek to think biblically about any topic. The analogy of faith is critical. For example, I've given you an example of of one that's prophetic. Uh, The last paragraph of Joel chapter two. And I'm not gonna take take you there because I wanna take you instead, come with me to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost. Um, When Peter begins to preach his his sermon here on the day the church was born, this day that is 50 days after uh, the Saturday Jesus lay in the grave the the Jewish holy day of Pentecost is the day the church was born and Peter as he's explaining to the crowd what's going on with these miraculous things that God the spirit was doing there on the the day the church was born Peter says in Acts 2 16 this 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 happening right here, this occurrence right here, this inauguration right here, this event right here, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel chapter two, verses 28 through 32. My point, if you're doing a verse by verse study of the book of Joel, and you get to Joel two, 28 through 32, and you don't go to Acts, you're not studying Joel. Joel 2, 28 through 32 was put in play on the day of Pentecost. Peter said, this is that. So if you study the book of Joel and leave out Acts chapter two, you're not studying Joel two correctly. Does that make sense? Do you follow? All right, similarly, likewise, and this is important to a biblical understanding of this marvelous covenant God made with Abraham. You cannot understand God's Abrahamic covenant here and as it is recapped in chapters 15 and 17 of the book of Genesis, if you don't understand the idea of offspring correctly as explained in Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three is critical and there are other passages that are as well, but the heart of the matter To understand the Abrahamic covenant correctly here in 2024, Galatians 3. Um, Especially verses seven through nine, verse 16 and verse 29. Let's read Galatians 3, beginning in verse seven. Now then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but, referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And then down toward the end of the chapter, verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, this week on Beyond the Notes, I'm going to to address directly the question, who are the modern heirs of the Abrahamic covenant? Who are they? But but we already know from Galatians 3 that not all ethnic Jews are today parties to the Abrahamic covenant. Further, we know that not only uh, ethnic Jews... Our parties to the Abrahamic covenant well, that's important if we're going to understand how this covenant is is to be seen to function also especially since uh, the war began in October there have been lots of questions that have come my way about the prophetic future of ethnic Israel so I want you to know that I've, I've worked with Pastor Mark Bricker who, who, who helps and who works with us on the design of our Journey Together Hot Topic Nights. And on Wednesday night, February 22nd, we have set aside a Wednesday night Hot Topic Night to talk about the prophetic future of national ethnic Israel. And we'll, we'll talk about that in some detail. I don't have two hours this morning. So some of those side topics we're, we'll be taking up in those other settings. Let's look now, Roman two, at the content of the covenant. What's going on inside the covenant? Well, it breaks down in three major areas in verses one, two, and three of the passage I just read. The first piece of the covenant is a land. I've shown you on the map, uh, go to the land that I will show you Later on, we see that God has has strategically devoted that land to his people. Now, it's a fascinating piece of geography. Abram didn't have a globe. I don't know how much world geography or how much of his world's geography Abram even understood. But you and I can look at a globe. Overwhelmingly, the majority of people on planet Earth live if you add together all of Europe, all of Asia, and all of Africa. Now I know North and South America are over here, of course I know it, we're sitting on it, or in my case, standing on it. But the, the, the majority of Earth's surface area is taken up with Africa, Asia, and Europe. Antarctica is out there somewhere, but not only do you need a boat, you need a snowsuit. The crossroads, of those three great land masses with their billions of people, if you travel by land between Asia, Africa, and Europe, you're going to come through the crossroads that is the land of Canaan. No wonder it has proven down the centuries to be some of Earth's most strategic and hotly contested real estate. God knew what he was doing when he said, that is where I will have my people. Location, 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 a land. Second, a legacy, a legacy. I will make you great. I will make of you a great nation. Well, we know that according to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, that one day the faithful of heaven who have followed Jesus Christ in obedience and who have come to be the inheritors of the covenant of grace will be from every tongue, tribe, and nation and will be innumerable, a multitude that no one can number who come by faith to the God of Abraham a legacy and then let her see a oh lord in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed from this is a messianic prophecy we touched on it briefly before christmas this is a promise that from the descent of abraham will come the one who will open the way of salvation by grace through faith for all who will receive christ turning from their sin and trusting him by faith what a stunning stunning covenant God made which leads us to Roman numeral three the character of this covenant it's unconditional it is it is grace without precedent see grace with precedent isn't grace right if there's a there's a reason for it it's not grace Grace is inherently unprecedented. And not only in Abraham's case was the grace he received unprecedented, God came to him and said without condition, this is what I'm going to do because I'm God and no one can tell me that I can't. We don't know anything about Abram. Well, I'm gonna show you, we do know something. Was was Abram, well, I know why God chose Abram. Abram must have been one of the good guys. Oh, have you learned it by now? There aren't any good guys. Praise God for those of us who aren't good guys that Jesus didn't come to save the good guys. Aren't you glad that when the Lord came to show you his grace, he did so without precedent? You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're saved because he saved you if you are saved. And this morning, he will save all who will turn from their sin and trust him by faith. He will save none who won't. This covenant came to Abram without precedent. And he wasn't, he wasn't in a good place spiritually when it came. We learn later in the book of Joshua from a speech Joshua is making to the Israelite people in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, verse two. I'll put it on the screen, Joshua 24, two. Joshua speaking to the people said, "'Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, "'Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, "'and they served other gods.'" Abram was a a polytheistic idolater when God came to him. He wasn't a good guy. And again, I'm so glad that when the Lord comes with his saving covenant into the life of a lost person today, he doesn't come to the good guys. Talked about it just last Sunday. We were dead And we weren't a neutral version of dead. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were the evil version of dead. According to Ephesians 2. Abram was an idolater. His heart far from the living God. The living God showed up and said, this is what my love for you is motivating me to do. You were a stranger, an alien, dead in trespasses and sins. If you are saved, when God came to you and said, this is what I've done for you. You didn't earn it. You never deserved it. And yet, by his grace, we are saved. What a stunning thing. See, grace with precedent isn't grace, it's wages. Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four, verses one through five, using Abraham as an example. What shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, that is, if Abraham was a good guy and God rewarded his good guyness, he has something to boast about. I was a good enough guy that God rewarded me but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Had a guy come this week. Friday afternoon, I wasn't at work. Friday, I take... I take most, most of most Fridays off, the guy came to our house. Our, the whole first floor of our house is floored with ceramic tile. It's a good idea because in one era of our life, we had the pool and kids. And now in this era of our life, we have dogs and a sometimes partially muddy backyard and ceramic tile is a good decision for the first floor of our house. Well, this guy came in and he cleaned it and when he was done, of all the nerve, he expected me to pay him. (laughs) Did a great job and I gladly paid him, but it was a transactional relationship, right? Your salvation is not a transactional relationship. The covenant made with Abraham was not a transactional relationship. You have brought nothing, as again, Pastor David said last Sunday, you've brought nothing to your salvation but the sin that necessitated it. God didn't save you because of anything in you. The first illustration of that in the Bible that was very, very clear was Noah. We didn't see that Noah was a good guy until Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and then he started obeying. Here, Abram finds grace, and then moves on with obeying, which leads us to Roman numeral four: the consequences of the covenant. The consequences of the covenant. Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. No, called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Back in chapter 12, verse one, I paused on the word go. If you have a Bible that you can highlight or circle or if you digital or analog paper, whatever you've got, if you can hit that word go with a highlight in verse one, at least mark it down mentally. Look down in verse 4. So he went. Go. So he went. That's the heart of it. The consequences of the covenant are the receive the recipients of God's grace live transformed obedient lives. Letter A, we see first faith without the particulars. Abram didn't have the details. I like having the details. In fact, if travel is in view, by the time I take any trip, I've got a folder probably a half inch thick. I know airlines and seats. I know make and model of the rental car. I know the hotel and the type of room, the room number, if I can get it. I have a plan for the places we'll be eating during the trip, and Lord help you if you're traveling with me and a change gets made, I can get testy. I confess our our faults one to another, especially in travel, I'm a detail-oriented control freak. Oh, I got a brother or a sister in the room. All right. God said, go. And, and, and we are inclined to some degree to want the particulars. In fact, I've given you two, two, different, two different questions we ask when, 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 when we're given some instruction from God's Word. God showed up and talked to Abram. He has left us that and more in his word. We want to ask this. Do I know everything I wish I knew? Do I have everything squared? Do I have everything I wish I knew? Quite often you won't. And this obsession to base our obedience in knowing everything we wish we knew is the root of two very toxic things, and I'll hurry. One of them is gossip. Do I know everything I wish to know? The roots of gossip go down into that soil. When I have some compulsion to either hear or share information that has nothing to do with me obeying God, it's just information. I just want to know, I just need to know, I just want to know, I just need to know. Because you want to know everything you wish you knew. That is the definition of gossip. I must transmit or receive information's got nothing to do with me. Don't do it. You just clutter up your storage space. The other thing that, that that compulsion to know everything I wish I knew can lead to what I've called in your outline, miscalibrated confidence. Now what do I mean by miscalibrated confidence I mean it's confidence that's just off. One version of that is I can be ridiculously overconfident. I've been there. Ridiculous overconfident in the sense that I do in fact know everything. I've got every detail of that squared away. I've got it all figured out. Here's what we're gonna be doing. Here's what the plan is. Here's the And then reality wrecking balls the whole thing. And by the way, who is the author of reality? God. Reality is not random, reality has an author. And when he, in his authorship of reality, goes wrecking ball on my detailed information, I don't have to like it, but I better know who it is. Overconfidence, worse, paralyzing underconfidence. Well, I, 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 I get this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know enough. I need, I, need, I need to get a lot more information before I can. I need to, you know, I, I, I need to know, I, I'm, Well, I just I just don't know enough. The question is not, do I know everything I need to know? In a given situation where obedience to God's word is in play, the question is not, do I know everything I wish I knew? No, the question is, do I know what I need to know in order to obey? Do I know everything I wish I knew? No, you don't. But do I know everything I need to know in order to obey? Abram, go here. Look at verse four. What did Abram do with that? Three words, verse four. What's it say? First three words. So Abram went. There you go. Faith without the particulars and obedience without pushback. He's 75 years old. Hey God, I'm 75 years old. You think I don't know that. God, I've accumulated a bunch of stuff. I'm up to speed on that too. I've spent my life worshiping gods who aren't. Yeah, we're gonna fix that as well. Go. Since October 7th, there has been a spike in, in curiosity about what God is up to in the Middle East. I share that curiosity, I understand that interest. But I do wanna, I wanna caution you as a shepherd who loves you If you're more concerned about the prophetic future of Israel, than you are people who live within 50 yards of you who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are out of whack. Go, go. Do not let interest in matters that do not affect your obedience today cause you to neglect your obedience today. You know enough to go and tell them about Jesus and tell them about one who saves by grace, all who will come to him.